You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, 40 years or of. It's coming. But first, if you own a retail business and accept credit cards, your customers are getting points, miles, and all sorts of rewards every time they use their card, and you're paying the price. That's why NRS Pay, a product of National Retail Solutions, a division of the IDT Corporation, offers its cash discount program, FeeBuster. You can start accepting credit cards for free. If your business processes over $18,000 a month, you pay no monthly fee and $0 out of your pocket for transactions. This means you, as a retailer, can enjoy the benefits of accepting plastic, and your customers still get those crucial miles they crave and need. NRS Pay FeeBuster provides every client with a free credit card reader with no long-term locked-in contract, no early termination fee, cancel anytime without a penalty, no hidden fees, no unpleasant surprises. I'm personally familiar with this company. I know its founder and officers and salespeople, and they truly stand by their product, and they'll help you with live stateside-based customer service on any issue or visit nrspay.com. Or call 833-289-2767 to learn more about NRS Pay and the fantastically fair fee buster. 40 years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruvain Yeshua Pufko of Beth Israel Beth Aaron's most prestigious synagogue. And All right, let's just cut, cut to the chase, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, chase indeed. We are, as I try to chase you, you try to chase me. We try to call each other. Um, and we miss each other a lot of times. I'll call your phone. You'll call my phone. Um, and it's fine. When I see, of course, uh, your number coming up with your wonderful visage, I know indeed that my good friend up in the north is trying to reach me. In Eretz however, the situation is quite different. Um, it seems. Fraught. It's fraught, I think is a good word. Yes. It, there, it is. So let me set the table here on, on, on what's happening. Um, it seems that for years now, there has been a certain designation uh, that of the type of phone that you have. There are certain numbers that are in are connected specifically with a kosher phone. In other words, these four digits that precede or that are part of your number tell the other person who's getting the phone call that they're getting a phone call from someone who this is not a smartphone. This is not an iPhone. This is a flip phone that can do almost the most basic things. It cannot send texts. It cannot connect to the internet. And as we know, uh, the Haredi uh, community has uh, waged a, a almost a maniacal campaign against eliminating any sort of smartphone f- from their midst. Uh, last year, the government uh, wanted to institute something called the Handel Reforms. Uh, Handel, who was the communications minister, wanted to allow uh, people who were saddled with these old flip phones and with these numbers to be able to upgrade to the more normal or uh, intelligent, common. what? <laughs> the more common phone uh, that would, and without having to change their number. Meaning, no, but I would... think that's a mischaracterization. In other words, that was a that was the unintended consequence of the reform. 
the purpose of the reform was to bring Israel in line with most other countries where you can switch your service provider and maintain your old phone number. Remember the right. old days, when, if I, when I, in the old days, when I switched once from uh, what's called here from Bell to Rogers, a million years ago, I had to change my number, which is inconvenient. Right, right. right. Now they made a rule. This, in other words, that rule impedes consumers from getting better deals because they don't want to give up their numbers because everyone in their life has their old number. So in order to have greater consumer satisfaction and freedom to, to switch providers to seek a cheaper cell phone deal, the countries uh, made your number transportable. Israel didn't have that. So it really was the purpose was to benefit the general consumer. The unintended consequence, right? It wasn't the focus of the legislation or the reform. The unintended is that if I'm a, if I'm a Haredi and I have a, a kosher phone um, where if I use Uber Eats, I can't get Rabbanut food, only Badats. I think that's the main thing. Right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so if I have a kosher phone, I yeah. have a kosher phone, I would now be also be able to get a, a smartphone and no one in my life would know that I have stepped into the dark side, that I've gone over to the Citroën right. by yes. getting a smartphone because the number would still be a Fermi phone number. Right. and, and I then, would be able to camouflage my malfeasance. Yes, and this is what uh, about a year ago uh, generated uh, a, a tremendous wave of protest that this would be a Xero because this would allow Hitbolut to happen because now people who up until this point identified as Haredi and the phone, as I've seen written, was like your black hat. Uh, this number, now the person could hide that. The person could have the... Uh, no, I, the I tell you what I find really strange and bizarre about this whole thing is that, and again, I, I may be wrong when I say this, but in my memory, up until this cell phone thing, generally speaking, what the from parties wanted from the government was to support Haredi schools, support exemption from the army, to get privileges or uh, 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 from the government, get funding from the government. This is the first time that I can think of where they wanted governmental assistance. Not to get the advantage, yes. And, and enforcing, well, not to get an advantage, but, but also governmental assistance and in, in enforcing internal Haredi community norms. In other words, they couldn't convince their people to stay on the right path. They want the government to help them keep their people on the straight path by not allowing them to conceal their smartphone acquisition behind the facade of a uh, of a from phone number, right? So it's it's they're asking the government to help them enforce their rules. I guess directed mostly to sneeze. Right, right. There's, I think there's another thing that perhaps everybody understands, which is that the kosher phone industry is under the complete monopoly of the Gerach Sidim and others who uh, are going to lose because they realize that if this occurs, then the I, what's happening now, which is you have two phones. You know, um, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with your, with this monet, with this, with this idea that it's driven by money. <laughs> this is driven by high-minded ideals of trying to keep their their community, their children on a holy and pure path. This, I'm sure, money has nothing to do with this. <laughs> well, you're, you're a cynical, yeah. uh, you're a cynical man. 
influenced by Marxism, obviously. Yes. And, uh, and you yes. ascribe financial uh, motives to what is a high-minded pursuit of holiness. Yes, yes. Well, but let, let us at least put, <laughs> let at least say clearly that they will lose, whether whether that is um, the worst part of this or not. The firm phone industry is a obviously a very lucrative one because if this is what you need, it's similar, I think, as I was saying before, uh, to the firm clothing industry. You, you, uh, those you, they can charge the most exorbitant prices for the strimal, for the hat, for whatever it is, the garb that you need. This is the only place you're going to get this phone. You can't have this number any other place. This number, this phone, this means you're a from Jew. Now, I, I just wanted to point out to you, and, and we talked about this off pod, is that so many uh, are already, as it's been indicated by the surveys that were done, and I know this because I was in Eretzisar recently, and there was a person who was very involved in a business situation that I, I needed to know about. And he said, look, don't call me on this other phone. Here's my two numbers. And I was trying to figure out, and I realized one is his Froom phone that he takes with him to Yeshiva. And, and the calls, other... When he calls the Shadchan, he needs to have a Froom phone number. Yeah, right. Oh, and, and the other one is the one that's in the other pocket. And, and 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 let's just say you know we're, we're coming soon to the yurt site of Rukhaim Kanievsky and he issued proclamations that others uh, of Gershon Edelstein and others uh, confirmed that anyone with a smartphone uh, should not you should not make shaduchim with their pasul edus. Uh, it, it really is um, a, a, a I don't know if you would call it draconian, but I guess that's a good term to use. Uh, way to control the community. And part of it, of course, is the fact that the power of the cell phone, the power of the iPhone uh, to connect you. So uh, it, it, let me just quote Tani Frank uh, from the Hartman Institute, who says the cancellation of this reform, which is part of what the coalition deal in the Netanyahu government was for them to join the coalition was to cancel the reform. If you cancel this reform, it's a big blow to many ultra-Orthodox Jews who once again find themselves under the control of the wheeler dealers of the Haredi community. Um, also, um, the uh, the Aretz article, Haaretz article says that under this new government, they'll again become the only group in Israel denied the basic right, and they will lose access to basic information from the outside world. Now, as we've just explained, that's not true. What They still can use their other phone, but it's inconvenient, and they can be outed, because if they take the wrong phone out of their pocket, they are now uh, labeled. And because of that, as you said, they will lose those shaduchim. They're going to lose much. And I, it, it really is something, you know, when we hear about this, uh, Rabbi Pupko, it sounds like totally from another planet, doesn't well, it? Another thing, I just don't understand why there isn't any embarrassment amongst Haredi leaders to go to a secular government and ask them to help them enforce Sneez rule. <laughs> I mean, it's so bizarre. I mean, just let the, and in fact, you, you, what you point out is really, I didn't realize this, that so many Haredim already have two phones in order to, to navigate the uh, the social norms versus their other requirements. And uh, the Haredi norms are now, uh, you have to pretend to only use a, a flip phone. And uh, I, I, I understand the ringtones on the from phones are also very good. <laughs> yes, yes, they, they, they only... They they don't, 
Jewish music. It's only uh, right. I guess your choices are Chazonis, Mordechai Ben David, and pseudo pop. That's what you have. Um, you, I, I guess it's my Miami Boys Choir is also on the, a ringtone. I think. Right. I think you have to be uh, you have to be thirteen and below to be able to get that on your phone. And, and on the other phones, you you can listen to, uh, you know, Sam White. You know, and other things. It is uh, Miley Cyrus. You can listen to Miley Cyrus. The, the truth is that it's not as it's not as ridiculous as we're making it sound, because we do know that this device has changed everything. No, I, and, I, I'm no great defender of smartphones. I think you know they 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 are a window into the worst elements of the world. And they, uh, is it possible that a uh, the Haredi and in general world can maybe float the idea of a phone holiday and and see how that works. What, I think what really gets me is you know ninety percent of this of the Bichemish community has the the phones it indicated that eighty seven percent of Bichemish has two phones. Right, right. The, the number is staggering. I mean, now is it possible in any way, shape, or form to to think about, you know, no phones? Let's think about no phones for a minute. No cellular phones. Let's think about the idea of taking a, a break completely. Because I believe, of course, the the more pernicious issue here is that we don't have lives and we don't have attention spans. And we don't concentrate on anything because we the convenience of being able to even to talk on the kosher phone means that we don't give a damn about the person who's next to us. We talk loud and crazy in, in, consistently. The minute, and I've daven in shul, the minute that they are out of the shul, they the flip phone is out, they're on the phone, what listen, is happening? Listen, listen. What, 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 just before you tell me to listen, I want you to listen to just one thing. Could <laughs> you? Isn't it possible that the world? Forget about the porn that you're so focused on. <laughs> let let us say, let us say, just the idea that that I need to talk, to make these phone calls and I need to have them in a row. I need to be able to use my minute of walking to be able to be on the phone. Is doesn't isn't that really more destructive? Uh, than what's happening uh, to the youth and middle-aged people who want to check their phone on the movie reviews. That, I think, is is really something. No, that... I, listen, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, these devices, which were designed to make our lives more convenient, have saddled us with uh, t- with terrible intrusions. You know, the idea that and it's not it's not the phone it's the phone but also the you know the the internet connection the social media it has had had profound impact on kids on teenagers especially it has uh it has ruptured the peace of mind of all of us you know when we were kids a guy went to work in the morning at nine o'clock came home at five o'clock and that was it and today because of the quick access to whatsapp and texting and messengers and all this stuff uh, you know, there's not, not a moment's peace, whether it's your employer or your employee, whether it's your partner or your client, your customer, whatever, somebody's going to email you or text you at nine, ten o'clock at night, 
you're now forced to think about things you shouldn't have to think about at night and to, you can't do anything about it anyway until the next right, right. and when that Terrible. guy comes home at five o'clock he's not even if he is able to get his family to sit down with him every single one of them is going to have a phone right in their hands and there is no conversation they going look on the eye. they look at their hands where their phone is they yes and the adults are the same way Absolutely. and everyone and so this i think is something that I, I maybe that's a dragon that's too large to be slain but that really is you know so i would it, i would i would make it even i would i would go further i think that when you talk about teenagers and their development teenagers need time alone and it's not easy to be alone. They need to be in their own head. They need to think about who they are, what their place in the world is, all the conflicting messages they're getting. And it's painful. And the cell phone, the, the smartphone, the all, constant contact uh, on social media gives kids a way out of that. They're always in touch with someone. They're, they're always alone, but they're never alone. Right, they, there's an illusion of relationships, an illusion of friendships, an illusion of dialogue, where there's no real dialogue and there's no real contemplation. I, I'll, I'll give you an example from my own limited experiences. <laughs> I, I've, I've been going on the march of living with kids from Poland to Poland and Israel, from Montreal for 30 years now. In the old days, in the 90s, when we would, first went on these trips, we'd go to a horrible place like Majdanek. The kids would get back on the bus on the way out and there'd be complete and total silence for four hours. Today, when you pull out of Majdanek, the kid posts a selfie, says, terrible, oh, it's terrible. And then within 10 minutes, the bus is back to normal because the social media connection gave them a way to, to have themselves, to delude themselves into thinking they've processed, they've responded, they've reacted. And because they have a cheap, facile way of responding they don't think about a real response a real thought and it, 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 it allows them to avoid the difficult time of thinking it, it has a terrible effect the kids are in touch with each other when they go to sleep when they wake up in the morning they're never alone in their own heads teenage girls are inundated with images that make them feel less worthy that you know for, for and it's it has a devastating yeah, I, I, what you're saying is very profound. I would just add to it one other layer. Even the sort of benign aspect of the phone serving as a, a camera in many ways um, uh, dilutes and distorts all experiences. Right. In, other, in other words, if I'm on a vacation, I'm on a trip, I'm enjoying my family, What the very first thought we have is take a picture. Take right. the picture. And people and, don't remember what they experienced. They remember the picture only. Right, right. And, and, right, and they're, they're, they don't even, they don't soak the experience in while it's happening. Just make sure we get the picture. What happened <laughs> to privacy? What happened to, I mean, this insane idea that you're supposed to announce to the world everything that's going on in your life. I mean, it, it's insane. No, it's it's. Yes, it is. And that it really, it, you know, that those things have really been part of our community, I guess, for the last 20 something, 25 years, as these phones, even before they were able to do uh, all the super things they can do now, just the ability to be a camera and a phone at the same time, I think, started, I mean, question, cheapening, started cheapening human experiences. I mean, before this happened, 
before we, right, every phone has, was a camera. Were you ever on the phone and you said, gee, I wish that this was a camera? No, <laughs> right? All of a sudden, every, the, the, the taking of pictures. I mean, I, yesterday I was on a Zoom call with, uh, with people from YouTube and TikTok about hate videos that, that are going up, right? And about what they, how they remove it and all this stuff. Uh, and, you know, I, I, you know we, the, the balance between free speech and hate speech and all that stuff is a, a big issue on, on you know, uh, on these platforms. But, um, you know, what's fascinating to me, I asked them both. They we're talking about who they, ban- you know, the, the banning and Nick Fuentes is banned or whatever, you know, the, you know, anti-Semitic stuff, racist stuff, uh, homophobic stuff, right? How they, how they, how, how they uh, get rid of these things. And I asked them both a question. Neither of them could answer it. I, and I knew, I found out the answer 30 seconds later. I said, is Louis Farrakhan allowed on TikTok? Is Louis Farrakhan allowed on YouTube? And they both didn't know. I mean, I don't even know if they ever heard. I mean, I don't know who, you know, they didn't know. I said, because, I mean, there's hardly a bigger name in anti-Semitism today than Louis Farrakhan, right? And they didn't know. Now, I, as soon as the Zoom call ended, I went on TikTok and I went on YouTube and he's all over the place, right? So this idea that you can, you know, moderate it or, or in any way, uh, you know, uh, create a safe space there, it's, it's ridiculous, let me throw another little curmudgeon crumb here, and that is the the what becomes facile replacement of research and knowledge. Um, okay, let me look this up on the, my phone, right? In other words, an idea, and 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 whoever is responsible for the first hits arriving uh, is 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 raking in a lot of dough, but those first hits are going to provide the the so so called researcher with many times erroneous information and the sense that they know about the subject and i think having having it so easy in your hands and being able to just you know be Listen, able to push a button a woman asked me shyly yesterday about how fresh is challah about taking challah and for whatever reason i have a mental block i can never remember the, the sheer Right, I always forget it. Yes. So, but it's fantastic, you know. I don't have to ask anybody. I don't look anything up. You know, I go, I go minimum for challah in Google, and you know the the right. Know, I know what the websites are, and it's right there. It's fantastically right. Easy. Yes, but what what it does is it replaces the. And I'm not saying that you need to spend hours looking through dusty tomes, but what I'm saying is is that sometimes the research. Uh, is is generated in such a, a, a more intense and real way when it isn't necessarily just uh, dropped into your palm. Uh, looking the thing up sometimes in the old-fashioned way uh, gives you a, a an understanding of the basic principle from which the the detail extends. And I think your understanding of the of the idea also, is is better. Getting lost in research is always serendipitous. I mean, in the old days, when I had, when I remember there's a true Ramesha, right, in Chele Gimel of Archaim, and I had to go look for it, right? I know I had a table of contents, but yeah, you look around the safer, you see things. Now, today, you go on Barilan or Otsar Chachm, whatever it is, you push right away, you get the Truva. There's no serendipity anymore. You don't go to a library and look at shelves and, oh, there's a book I never knew about, yeah, right? No. It, it's, that's all gone. All that's gone. Yeah. Well, again, I, here I'm going to sort of push back a little bit, especially if the person's waiting for an answer for right, you. Right, right. <laughs> you, you don't want to say, no, well, I got... Great conveniences. 
I'll yeah. tell you, to me, the greatest advantage of uh, of social media and the smartphone is Uber Eats. I think Uber Eats is the, the greatest thing that ever happened. <laughs> uh, no, especially for the kosher consumer, because in the old days, what would you do? You'd, let's say you're you're lazy and you don't want to get out of your house and you want to order something from a kosher restaurant. What would you do? You call the kosher restaurant. Right, till they answer the phone, okay. Once they put you on the phone, you give them an order. Uh, they put you on hold four times. Then they, you know, they never give you the correct estimate as to when the delivery is actually going to arrive. The order is always wrong. Now you do it on Uber Eats. You can order kosher food. The guy comes to your door, and you never have to engage in a conversation with a fellow Jew. It is the greatest delight in the world. See the little guy coming at you on the map, right? The order's always right. You don't have to be put on hold. It's fantastic. Uber Eats, I think, is, you know, all the damage, I think, of this, of smartphones and internet, all the damage is I can tolerate because of the great the beauty, the elegant of Uber Eats. Right. And, and I think this is our perfect segue to go into uh, this Sunday, where I assume the Uber Eats apps and others like it are going to be used in mass, especially uh, during the halftime of uh, the 57th Super Bowl. Can you believe that? I remember the first. Uh, I remember it uh, distinctly. Uh, it was on NBC and CBS. We had the, uh, it was called the NFL, uh, NFL AFL championship game, but later called the Super Bowl. But this is the 57th one, and it's uh, between the Philadelphia Eagles representing the National Football Conference and what's now become a dynasty, the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, let's have some thoughts a little bit about the game and a little bit about Philadelphia because you have a little bit of a connection to to Pennsylvania. All my grandfathers uh, were Rabbanim in Philadelphia uh, in the old days. Um, my Zayda, my father's father, was involved in bringing the yeshiva of Philadelphia into existence. Uh, it's a wonderful community. My son-in-law, my Aiden, is from Philadelphia. Um, and I was in Pittsburgh, so we're cross-strait rivals. But, you know, I will support my fellow Pennsylvanians in the Super Bowl. Yes, yes. You, you, and, and, and let's talk a little bit about what's considered, even though, you know, you, you've talked about the greatness of Pittsburgh fans. I think Philadelphia fandom has its own little complete market. I've been, I've been <laughs> the, the Philadelphia fandom is known for being the most ribald, um, uh, aggressive, wild fans. What, what is it? What is it about that? It's, is it? Why is the Philadelphia fans known to be so? I don't understand it. I don't. Maybe it's this. They're too close to New York, but feel inferior. They have grudges. I, I don't know what it is. They they're insane. Eagles fans are completely. And I've been in many stadiums, right? I, I I've been to many stadiums across uh, the U.S. And uh, if Eagles fans are uniquely insane. Much has been made of the fact that this is the first time two black quarterbacks have squared off against each other. Um, here's my take on this. It's great. Let's not make a big deal about this. The truth is, is that <laughs> that that thank God we don't have the type of uh discrimination that had been in the country beforehand 
it's wonderful that everybody wears a Mahomes jersey or a Mahomes jersey or a Jalen Hurts jersey, white, black kids, and everything else in between. The idea of saying that this is a historic Super Bowl because you have two black quarterbacks, I, I, I think is sort of a way to create a wedge uh, in, in in the country. You know, it's and interesting to- you bring this up because I, yesterday I, I was uh, driving around Montreal and I was listening to Mad Dog Radio on my Sirius uh, radio. That's an, I, like, I think that's 82 on Sirius XM or something like, like that. that. Yeah, I think you're right. And I was listening to an interview with Reggie Jackson, who's now in his 70s. And he was talking about when he came up as a ball player, as an 18-year-old kid out of Arizona State, and he went to play in Kansas City. I think he said Kansas. Yes, I think it was his first team was Kansas City. Then Oakland. Kansas City, the Kansas City Royals. And he talked about how when he was a kid, how he couldn't stay in, you know, this is the 60s or still. He couldn't stay in many hotels because they didn't allow, and I'll use the word Reggie Jackson used. He kept using the word. They wouldn't allow colored people in. I was shocked he said it in the interview, and he said it more than once. They wouldn't allow colored people in, he said. And um, and, 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 how, and how much progress, thank God, has been made in the last uh, five, six, seven decades. And instead of celebrating that great success and achievement of the civil rights movement, where for equality of opportunity, and uh, this idea that on the left that uh, America is doomed to uh, to systemic racism and really nothing's changed, is so insane, is so insane, and um, and you hear Reggie Jackson talking about his early years in baseball and how he wasn't drafted first he was supposed to be the first round draft pick and he wasn't because he was dating out of his race and again quoting reggie jackson he was quoting he was dating a mexican girl and he was dating out of his race they thought there would be social disturbance and actually reggie jackson was funny he said i caused a lot of disturbance but it wasn't social (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) and um mr october and um and to think, see all the progress, the real progress that's been made that we take it for granted, right? There's been a black president. I mean, it's, it, there's no issue, uh, you know, and, and and for the left to continue to want to wallow in, in ancient grievance is, is so disturbing to tear down and to deny the progress. And perhaps, as I'm saying, look, to, to over comment about this fact is really to sort of say, well, look how long it's taken. Um, and there's been sort of a, a prejudice against uh, black quarterbacks. And now we're finally able. Let's, let, let's play the game. Thank God uh, there, in terms of fandom, in terms of love, we love all the players, people who love their players. The, the fans are not throwing uh, beer cans at any of the uh, the black players. None of that's going on. They love the black players as much as the white players, and even the white players are are, are also embraced. Brady, Rogers, whoever it is. So I, 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 to me, it's 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 a way to sort of like let's let's make this more interesting uh, than it is. Uh, clearly, uh, again, Mahomes is. Uh, one of the most incredible players of this game, uh, probably in its whole history. There's no question about that. In, in in the years that he's that he's there, and 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 the racial aspect of it, I think, <laughs> is really so incidental. I, I'll agree with you. When it was Warren Moon, 
who was playing in Edmonton and finally got into the NFL. And, and, and you wonder what was going on there. This guy was so incredible. If he would have been in the NFL from the beginning of his career, he probably would have held uh, every, record. every record because of his, of his ability. Um, but, you know, with, with Warren Moon, with Randall Cunningham, with many of those, uh, Joe Gilliam even way back, the, the idea of the, of the black quarterback is, is, is 100% accepted. And there's no issue of, 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 of has there been racial uh, tension at all in the NFL in the last 25 years? I mean, again, it's, it's, it seems to me uh, that it's taken away from the game. Let's go with our picks, though, on what's happening. What do you think? Who do you, who do you, who do you think is going to win this game? Listen, uh, I, I feel you can't bet against Mahomes. This is, a, I, yeah, I, it's hard to argue with that. That's tough to argue with. I, I say Mahomes. Yeah. The other hand, the listen. What was the rap on the Eagles all season that their record didn't reflect how really good they were because they were playing lousy teams, and um, the only teams they played that made the playoffs were two teams in their own division, right? And uh, and they each played each of them obviously twice. Uh, so they had four games against teams that ended up in the playoffs and nobody else. Um, but again, the last uh, couple of weeks of the playoffs, the Eagles looked pretty dominant. On the other hand, I mean, what Mahomes was able to do on one leg, right, against the Bengals was incredible. I mean, he is uh, he's able to, you know, to, to accurately find receivers under enormous pressure, uh, scrambling out of the pocket. He's able to do enormous things. The question is, what everyone, you know, the real the question, the interesting question is, uh, is uh, the, the Eagles uh, uh, run defense, which may not be all that consequential given, you know, the Chiefs' reliance on the pass, but um, but the Eagles look very strong. To McCaffrey, I mean, he is, uh, you know, he got he came to the 49ers late, you know, in the midseason, and they didn't lose a game once they had him. Uh, I think he was playing quarterback at the end of the game. There, they tried to one play or direct snapped him. <laughs> Maybe right. they should have used it more, but yeah. you, know, you, you but wonder. Playing on Purdy, I didn't you, think he was he was that hurt, but he had torn UCL. I mean, he had he was really right. They, they don't know even when he's going to be back. Just a, one more thing about Christian McCaffrey. Can you imagine? Um, you know, in a Jewish family, we're we're going to call you Jew, right? <laughs> What's going to be your first name, right? Right? You know, maybe there's a you know somewhere there'll be a backfield, right? You know, the, the, you know there'll be a guy called you know you know Jew Schwartz. I like know? that guy on the Bears. Is he still there? What was his name? Like Mohammed Cohen? What was his name? <laughs> there was a guy with a very Jewish sounding last name. And then there's a guy. I think he's on. But, oh, but it, it, it's great that you have a surname. What is your surname? There's a Christian. guy with a receiver. I think the Cardinals. The receiver, his first, I can't say his first name. His first name is A-D-O-N-A-I. I, I know. Our, yes, yes. Right? Yes, That's yes. his name. <laughs> right? Yes, yes, yes. But again, if you want to you know, entertain yourself with interesting NFL players' name, you have to watch the very well-known Key and Peel videos of the announcing of... of, of oh, the- oh, they are great. They are great. They, yeah. but, but but I'll tell you, again, Key and Peel are, are two of the, the most um, intelligent, witty, uh, really fascinating comics. But even their comedy is really built very much on the idea of black versus white uh, almost every shtick they do re- really uh, makes things more cements further this this divide which is part of what i'm bemoaning 
you know, it, it, yeah, but, I, but they're able to laugh at themselves also, which is funny. I mean, somewhat, they, yeah, that's true. Trans- was a very simple battle, a beautiful battle to fulfill the American promise, right? Which, which not meant, to overturn America, it was right, to which, the which American would promise we, that everyone would be viewed as an individual rather than by where they came from or what they look like or what they practice and believe. And now we have gone back to a world where you look at everybody. I love Keegan-Michael Key. He has a podcast about stand-up comedy, which is gold, beautifully done. But the truth is, is that Keegan is uh, comes from a biracial family. One of his parents is white. Um, and the same thing is true about Patrick Mahomes as well. Uh, and, and the way you know, I was tra- taught to think about in the '60s during uh, the, the, what we were looking for is where it didn't make a difference. And basically, you're not white, you're not black, you're you're a person. And 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 and, and yet, I believe that when what's become standard now is if you have a what we call the biracial couple and they have a child, that child needs to identify as black, and and it's important that that, that, that occur. You know, last night, did you watch the State of the Union address last night? I did not. So I, I watched it. I, I taped it. I got home late and I watched it. I don't know why I watched as it. As you should. You are the, 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 the person that needs to be aware yeah, of all these things. Said, why does I watch it? Anyway, so towards the end of the State of the Union address, Joe Biden, you know, they did this thing where Reagan started, you know, pointing people out. Pointing the people out, yes. Yeah, so there was a couple there whose kid had is going through cancer treatment, a heartbreaking story, and it's a biracial couple. And uh, nobody cares, which is great. Nobody cares. And we were supposed to, the dream in the 60s was a colorblind society. Now, if you get up and say that, you will be called a racist yes. for running a colorblind society. Yes. You are a racist. You are not accepted in polite society. You have to see everybody, right, you know, where, where desegregation was the goal. Now, segregation becomes... Uh, almost, uh, you know, a, a cause on the left by, oh, we need safe places for our black students on campus. We need a separate graduation ceremony for black students. That's segregation. That's racism. Right. We also we were all taught. And now that is considered enlightenment. And, and that doesn't seem to change. And that, I think, is something that, you know, has a little bit of a pall over, you know, over you know, the, this great sports event. Nobody uh, who's watching the game is thinking about it. The only people thinking about it are the people who want to make these things an issue or broadcasters who need to fill the, the you know, the void of silence with, with foolishness. It's it, it, nobody cares. I mean, it's been a, how many decades is it since Howard Cosell got fired for calling a, an African-American running back? Look at that monkey run. Yeah. I mean, how many years is it since then? That yes. was the last racist thing. I pick, I say, Chiefs by three, I would say that the um, uh, they, they'll be uh, the Eagles will probably be leading in the third quarter, um, and I believe uh, the Chiefs come out on come out by three. Listen, probably, the probably 49ers, the last. The Forty ers aren't playing, and therefore nobody will get uh, a seventh ring. No team will have a seventh ring. So the Steelers are still number one. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it has to be the Steelers at the end. Take care, everybody. Enjoy the game. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.